Welcome, guys, to another episode of Rabbit Hole Recap. I'm Matt O'Dell. I'm here with Marty Bent. What's up, freaks? Today is September 5th, 2018. And the official Bitcoin price is $6,901.22 on Bitstamp right now. It's, Today, about, uh, it's about 7 o'clock here on the East Coast. Indeed it is. Today uh, we'll be talking about emerging market currencies, and they've been having a lot of issues lately. Talked about uh, Iran mining, mining in Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, the recent Ethereum meeting. The FOMC, the Ethereum FOMC Exactly. Meeting. We'll hop into that. Whether Bitcoin is fair money or whether it's not. Got some thoughts on that. It is. Uh, Shapeshift has recently uh, added KYC, or they're about to. Very interesting story. Uh, we got Casa, Casa Hodl. They've uh, come up with a, a lightning node in a box. I've been talking about plug and play for a while. Excited to talk about this. And then we have the most recent Bitcoin Optech newsletter, where they talk about the testnet being reset. Potentially. The conversations have started. There you go. So let's jump into it. Uh, I wanted to start. I picked this topic to start. In particular, emerging market currencies, uh, extremely volatile right now. Shout out to Wall Street Dropout on Twitter. Posted a chart. Um, developing nation currencies see, have seen the most volatility versus G7 currencies since 2009. Uh, and if you look at the chart, it looks like uh, things are definitely getting a little shaky in the traditional uh, markets, uh, especially in the emerging market currencies. Obviously, we have Turkey, Iran, Venezuela, Argentina. Exactly. Who else can be thrown into this mix right now? I feel like there's a few others. Well, Russia had the issues a couple of years ago, a year Russia, ago, or something like that. Yeah. I don't know if they're an emergency market. Um, yeah, but things are uh, things are getting... I think the, uh, the Tinder is getting very dry. It's getting dicey. And it's getting hot out. Um, but yeah, this all bodes, I mean, I don't know if this bodes well for Bitcoin, but uh, it is definitely something to pay attention to in the traditional markets, I would say, um, is is the volatility against the G7 currencies. And it's picking up pretty precipitously right now. And one of those emerging market currencies that is probably causing some of the volatility in that index is Iran. Some interesting news out of Iran this week, Matt. Yeah, so they've, uh, they've announced that I think... They're basically going to start government-sanctioned mining operations, is what it appears to be the case. Here's what the uh, the tweet says from Hadenem at one block I mean, chain. It doesn't really tell us much. Iranian but, government has accepted <laughs> Bitcoin mining as an industry. P.S. Electricity cost for mining one Bitcoin in Iran is less than $200. This is going to be phenomenal. But supposedly, so the release was in Farsi. So, like, I don't understand that. But but some you can't Iranian read Farsi. <laughs> you can't read Farsi yet. Dude? I can read it, but I can't actually. I can't understand it by hearing it. Okay. I can I can read it. If it was a, if it was a press release, I would have been able to understand okay. it. But um, some of the Iranians I follow on Twitter are, are they're basically saying that it they're basically they're the Iranian government is saying that they're going to mine Bitcoin. Um, I'd be surprised surprised if this is you know them first starting you know because why why are you going to tell people if you're going to start mining it. Here's something uh, a Redditor, Adune slash D, uh, an update from Iran on the ground. Apparently, the central bank is moving into legalizing crypto trading and establishing guidelines until uh, towards the end of September. Uh, so towards the end of this, this month. Uh, and this is uh, because local fiat currency is falling rapidly. So, holy shit, we've got 
Iran turned into Bitcoin as their currency's going. Well, it makes sense for all these all these countries that have sanctioned oil, large large energy resources that are sanctioned that they can't offload otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes sense for them to mine Bitcoin because they can basically turn they can turn that sanctioned energy into into money. Yeah, and then they could spend it without I, it getting. I mean, blocked. we talked about this about Venezuela last a couple yeah, exactly. weeks ago in the first episode and. Now that's happening with Iran, it's, is this underscored? Is there a conspiracy to keep this news underground? I, <laughs> I feel like it's going to be the opposite. I'm surprised we haven't started getting the like the next round. Ra- the next one of the next rounds of FUD narratives is going to be uh, Venezuela, Iran, Russia. North Korea is using it to get around sanctions. Yeah, speaking of which, we're uh, thinking which about they int- are yeah. But, uh, and we're thinking about, about uh, introducing a new segment, Freaks, uh, potential future FUD, FUD lines uh, that could, could affect Bitcoin and the social tax. Try and preempt the FUD. Exactly. We're going to try and preempt the FUD uh, as best we can. We've got a topic on it tonight, but yes. Yeah, this wasn't actually supposed <laughs> was, to be the this topic. This wasn't supposed to be it, but... That's it true, is, though. It is a good example. They're definitely... That's such an easy narrative for them to play. Yeah, it um, will be played. Especially if, if then you link you know, some type of terrorist attack and you say the Iranians funded it and they used their Bitcoin that they had in the mining operation to fund it. It's perfect. Yeah. And this is why I really push or try to tell people not to push the Bitcoin or crypto community meme. Because what you have to realize is that this, if this stuff becomes ubiquitous, there's going to be multiple competing and confrontational communities using Bitcoin as a tool. Bitcoin is apolitical it it's is, permissionless anyone can plug in a miner and just start you know bringing in that money so it's we by its very nature that's the value prop and that's why countries like iran or venezuela can no not, but i think that's it. also why we need to combat this community meme because it makes a, an easier argument for the governments that want to ban bitcoin because of the iran's and north korea's of the world saying hey bitcoin's a community you're letting North Korea and Russia into your so-called community. Right, exactly. They're not yes. part of our community. Yeah. They're helping secure the network. Yeah. Um, but we, we don't get to give them permission or take it away. We just don't. That's not in our power. No. Unfortunately or unfortunately. Probably most likely fortunately. Um, just for the better good. It's definitely positive EV at the end of the day. I mean, they're horrible government. <laughs> yes. Like, let's yes. just be clear. I mean, Bitcoin, Bitcoin is positive EV at right. the end of the day. Absolutely. I mean, I mean for every... For every Venezuelan government mining operation, you know, you have a slush or something, or twenties, or you have like anonymous people that exactly. are are you know just trying to make a living, and and they and their government you know maybe doesn't allow it, and they they have a small mining operation that is relatively anonymous that's hard to track. It's it's the easiest way. If you want if you want Bitcoin, that is, if you're in a country that has Bitcoin banned. A lot of times, the easiest way is to is to mine the Bitcoin because it's it's way easier to do that anonymously. Well, actually, it's a good time to plug Honey Miner because if you're in one of these countries and you don't have access to ASIC or an ASIC farm, which you probably need to to make a considerable dent in Bitcoin mining, if you have GPU or CPU equipment, you could uh, download Honey Miner and start mining uh, and liquidating shit coins into Bitcoin immediately. Yeah, so one of the reasons why you're getting this pod later than than you have in the past is because Marty had uh, CoinEasy on yesterday. Mm-hmm. Who's what does he do for your Honey Miner? Uh, I think he was their first hire. I think he's like like a marketing, marketing, is a marketing and, element. Yeah, 
growth. Um, I think it's head of growth or something. Basically, like Honeyminer is an app that you run on your computer, and it mines the most profitable altcoin, and then it auto dumps it for Bitcoin and gives you Bitcoin. So you have like a small accumulation of Bitcoin, and it, it, at scale, it could it could lower altcoin prices and increase Bitcoin price because you're basically selling, you're basically mining the altcoin, selling it on the market, and then getting and buying Bitcoin with it. Um, it probably won't be profitable for a lot of people, but it's kind of cool to, you know, just get, get that accumulation. Well, that's what CoinEasy was telling me is that they have people, uh, one dude in particular in Nairobi who, who set himself up and there might be a couple dollars a week or whatever, but that's material. Uh, Absolutely. And he said, uh, he came on, dropped some stats about honey miners users and apparently 30% are from emerging markets which is pretty cool it's it is if you have a computer already with spare cycles and you have some cheap cheap electricity it's the easiest way to get bitcoin uh you don't have to give them kyc information they don't take any uh personal information if bitcoin's banned in your country it's it's it, you'll probably be able to use it with just a vpn pretty cool pretty cool definitely pretty cool uh let's get on to the next topic uh these countries are Turning to Bitcoin because they fucked up their money either through a, a crisis of confidence in the government uh, governing over the citizens or they messed up their monetary policy uh, in the cryptocurrency space. Last week, a couple days after our last episode, uh, Ethereum had an FOMC meeting and, uh, and changed their monetary policy. So the Ethereum block reward is going to be reduced uh, from three to two ETH, Ether per block and the Constantinople hard fork. Matt, what are your thoughts? I keep, I keep going back to that pod you had with Joe. Uh, where he put it really succinctly. That with Joe Weisenthal? With Weisenthal, yeah. Check it out. Um, that fiat is ultimately trust in the institution that issues the fiat. And with Bitcoin, you don't need that trust because it's math. You know, there's 21 million Bitcoin you know what the supply schedule is. You know how many are going to be produced. So, so you don't have to trust individuals or an institution or whatever. Ethereum decided that wasn't revolutionary enough. And they have a group, a small group of people that are deciding key things like supply rate. And so ultimately, Ethereum's value is derived from the trust of that small group of people, right? It's, it's, they're emulating the current fiat system with a blockchain. Yeah. Uh, and I've said this before, just like on Tales from the Crypt in general, but it, uh, Ethereum to me feels like the, the central banking and system of conspicuous consumption that we're looking to get away from with Bitcoin. I just think they totally missed the mark. Uh, for what we're trying to do from a monetary perspective. So basically what they agreed to is, what is it? It's a three, right now, every Ethereum block mined has a reward of, of three ETH. Three Ether. And, and there's a block and now every 15 gonna, seconds. They, they decided that they're going to lower it to two ETH starting in September, I think. Um, and so, so basically they're taking money from miners and... They're preventing current holders from getting diluted. How do you think this affects miners? Do you think they leave? Well, it hurts them. But do you think they leave? It, it, uh, it cuts their reward by 33%. Imagine if you put all this money in a mining op that's helping to secure the network, and they just 
they just unilaterally decided that they're gonna to slash to slash those funds. And now Ethereum Ethereum community members will tell you that uh, that it was a group decision, that there was consensus reached, yada yada yada. Ethereum ownership is 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 very centralized. There's certain actors that have a lot of control over the system, and they're gonna make sure that even if ideally in their situation, there's they're making this decisions behind the scenes. But when you have the actual meeting, it appears that's not the case. You know, Vitalik wasn't in the meeting, I'm pretty sure. Lubin wasn't in the meeting. Like these are guys that are controlling everything. You know, they're they're handling the the changes behind the scenes. They're pushing it in certain ways. Like there's no way well, there's no way that you have a mining reward reduction from three ETH to two ETH without Lubin and Vitalik it's approving. It's so arbitrary it. too. Like why just one? Well, like, so so the price is dropping, right? As yeah. well. So it's a perfect time. They're, they're trying to shore up the markets a little bit, try and get some faith in the markets. You know, don't sell. The supply is going to be less than you thought it was yesterday. Uh, and they did this, I think, was it late 2015 that the difficulty bomb was introduced? Or early was 2016? I think it was introduced... Right off the bat to, I mean, the whole, so free freaks that don't know what the difficulty bomb in Ethereum it is, Ethereum's had a plan to transition the proof of stake since its inception. Um, and the way to do this, to incentivize them to do it, they were going to create what's called a difficult, or they, there's technically a difficulty bomb in the code that makes it so it's almost impossible to mine. With well, that it. already brought it down to three, too. Yeah. Like it substantially reduced the supply curve. Uh, and it, it, them doing that coincided with the rise in price as well, you know, so cause, you know, correlation doesn't mean causation, but it was, it's the same idea. The idea is you lower the supply rate more than was expected during the ICO or more than was expected than yesterday. And, and hopefully that, well, it definitely stops you from getting diluted if you're already a holder and it well, in, increases the prices. Though, but how hope. can you say that when uh, Vitalik's uh, famously been quoted as saying that the Ethereum supply will never go over 100 million. Uh, and it's, what, at like 111 it's, million it's right now? It's a little bit over that, right? Exactly, but... Isn't it 101? Uh, I think it's more than that. Debatable. Okay. I don't know. I don't know for a fact. Um, Should I check? Is that you? This we, is not me. I'm not uh, ringing. I think it's uh, music outside or something like yeah, that. Yeah, here, uh, we, got, we got the... Uh, the office uh, theme song playing somewhere in here. Um, but um, I know, going back to Ethereum, like changing, again, this is just, we've shit on this project enough on this podcast in particular, but I, again, it's just a continuously moving goalpost and never really achieving what they set out. Yeah, it's 101 million ETH. The ETH, people hate when you say ETH. Well, you know, I read it online for the longest time and I thought it was like ETH, like meth, you know? Mm -hmm. um, 72 million ETH were in the pre-mine. Well, the ICO. An ICO is just a pre-mine where you sell your bags before the network launches. That's, it's like the founder gets to unload their pre-mine before it happens. So they have 72 million ETH was sold in the ICO or held by the founders and whatnot. And right now there's 101 million ETH in circulation. So basically 72% of ETH in circulation was sold or kept during that ICO Genesis block period. Um, and that's, that seems pretty ridiculous. It's Ripple-esque. 
Yeah. To an extent. And then if you look at like the the uh the curve chart of the distribution of the ICO, it looks right, very it's a little bit weird. It looks very like manipulated. Gamed a little bit by yeah. a couple actors. But it's like they were trying to make it seem more uh attract or there was more hype around it than there actually was. Yeah, I, I narrowed it down to basically we have four guys that control the destiny of Ethereum. You have Lubin, you have Vitalik, you have Anthony Diorio, and you have uh, Coinbase. You have Brian Armstrong. Those four guys, Brian Armstrong is a little bit less, but he's, he's moving on up with uh, Coinbase's recent acquisitions. Uh, that are that are very ethereum focused and those four guys really you're not making any of these changes without their either tacit or Im- implicit approval well, i don't know if i would even like pigeonhole it that way like because they'll come back with the argument like these four people do not control it which i i agree with you to an extent like i think they're it's more like a veto yeah is what i would say yeah and i don't but i don't think i don't even think we have to to lean on that argument to do uh, to discredit what they're doing. I mean, so they not even a week after the announcement that they're lowering the supply schedule consensus tweeted this out today. This is ridiculous. We didn't even say we were going to talk about this, but I had to bring it up. Like in Fura, the company backed by Joe Lubin, who's probably exerts the most power over Ethereum. Um, and a lot of people, since they can't download their own full nodes anymore, are depending on Infura to to basically run nodes for them. They run the majority of yes. uh, so, Ethereum nodes. Unironically, Consensus tweets out today, Infura.io went from 20 million requests a day at the beginning of 2010 to over 10 billion requests today. Uh, so they're, they're, they're basically hyping this fact up that Ethereum users have to use a third-party service and that it's doing more requests than Google does a day. Right, so that's even, what Brendan said. Yeah, so it's even questionable if they're, they're servicing that many requests. But the fact that so many people have to depend on your Infura, like we can use that as an argument. To was it, fa- it was Google does four and a half billion searches a day. Yes. The number one website on the planet. Mm-hmm. And Infura says that they're doing 10 billion requests today alone. today so i guess per day right but today maybe today's a higher amount because it was dumping yeah but again like like it totally invalidates like an argument for decentralization like this is like completely right centralized so, so basically well we're actually going to skip an order right now and go to shapeshift why is um, this why we skip oh we because infura 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 is going to get the shapeshift experience soon is what I think is going to happen. Okay, so let's explain what's happening with shapeshift. So shapeshift is it's founded, from, when was it founded? 2014, 2015? Yeah, yeah. By Eric Voorhees. It was, it was founded in the last, uh, like, Bitcoin altcoin apocalypse. And it was, it was actually, like, really revolutionary, I would say, when it came out. Basically, it allowed you, without an account, to seamlessly switch between... Bitcoin and a maraud of altcoins yeah, and, was, and between the altcoins directly. So like a lot of times, like altcoins only have a pair with Bitcoin. Yeah, and you was, have to sell for Bitcoin and then get the alt. It was like a first iteration of an atomic swap, if you will. Well, it was a, it was a trusted one. Yeah. Basically you had the centralized actor, which was shapeshift and they would be like the little broker in between the transaction, but you would have, you could switch between any, 
any coin or they had some some tokens on there too and any other coin that they supported any two coins and you didn't have to have any kyc or account or anything it wasn't it, it went even further than something like binance which doesn't have kyc because binance requires an account you mm -hmm. have to register an account this was just you initiate like initialize a the transaction yeah exactly you just convert right over seamlessly and they they implemented it in a variety of wallets multi-coin wallets so you can just trade between coins in your wallet yeah and it's important to uh to bring up the founder of this company eric Voorhees, i believe who is an og bitcoiner um yeah was exactly. really leading the cause in the beginning with roger ver extremely anti-state very outspoken yeah, so it's funny to see what happens so basically I think he lives in panama intentionally that's an extraditionless country yeah so the government's He's, uh, he's implementing as a, KYC now. He, he's uh, defined as a bad actor by the government, and they're coming after shapeshift. Well, that was in, in 2014 that they defined him as a bad, guy, okay. bad actor. Um, but still, it's still in government records. And right. Now they're exactly. forcing him to implement KYC, AML. He basically has bent the knee because if not, apparently the, he'd be going to prison. Yeah, the accountless exchange is now going to have accounts, and not only is it going to have accounts, it's also going to have KYC. Um and on on top of all that, to implement his KYC, he he released uh, I'm, I, a utility token, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, called the Fox, Fox coin. Yeah, the Fox token. So I, you know, if you're gonna implement KYC, like just do it. I don't know why you need another token involved. Uh, yeah, why why get into securities? For be, you're already getting. Be funny if after all this they hit him with the securities violations. <laughs> But uh, I would just not trust Shapeshift. I, they, it seems like sketchy sh stuff is happening there. Um, he, he, the way he was tweeting was just, you know, my, he, very he's, cryptic. Yeah, he said my my tweets are being watched. Everything I say is being watched. Uh, for a while, I've actually told people not to use Shapeshift, uh, specifically because they they weren't. It almost seemed like their business practice, the way they were handling the transactions, where they would instantly send out exact amounts without any kind of delay or anything, was designed so that the authorities, without Shapeshift having to actively give them the information, the authorities could track you cross-chain. And uh, I remember, I think a couple months ago, Chain Analysis released a product that allowed you to track Bitcoin to Monero transactions and Monero to Bitcoin transactions that go through Shapeshift. Uh, and that's exactly why. It's because they, they set it up so it's predictable the way their transactions go. So it's like easy to, easy to track. So I was suspicious then. Now I'm actually less suspicious of that first thing because they're implementing. You would think if he was like playing ball, they wouldn't have pushed the KYC. So I mean, but regardless, don't use Shapeshift. He got, he got the you know the u.s gov came down on him hard when you're a person you can get threatened with jail time and seizures super easy yeah no that's uh boy austin storms Austin storms on twitter he made a good point like what's happening to eric where he's in shapeshift right now is why satoshi left like, yeah this is why decentralization matters you know this is why you need your network to be distributed you know so we were talking about the reason i brought brought shapeshift in here out of order a little bit is because Infura. Infura runs the majority of Ethereum nodes. They're based in Brooklyn, or Consensus is based in Brooklyn. I'm not sure where Infura is based. I think Infura might be based in Manhattan. Consensus is owned by Lubin and his partners. Then you have Consensus 
owns Infura. Infura runs the majority of nodes. So all you need is the U.S. government to come in to Lubin and, and consensus at, or just go into Infura or whatever and tell them, you know, KYC needs to be on Ethereum. And all of a sudden, you know, the majority of the nodes of your network are either going down or requiring some like obscure, I don't even know how they would do it, KYC type, type deal. You know, maybe they could bring in Vinny's scam token, the Civic token. <laughs> um, but the, they'd figure it out. They'd either figure out some kind of KYC way to comply or they'd have to shut down. And, and if they do comply with the KYC type of situation, I think it just erodes the whole value prop. Uh, you might as well, you know, use TD Ameritrade or Robinhood and use Cash App or Venmo. Certainly because, more efficient. Yeah, if you have to if you have if you have to comply with the KYC anyway, you might as well just use these these fully regulated offerings that offer you dirt cheap prices that you don't have to pay blockchain fees for, you know? So this is exactly why decentralization is important. This is exactly why having everything open source, not having central actors, you know, being robust and being being prepared for this kind of eventuality when they when they start to fight back is you, you need to be ready for it. Otherwise, you're just going to you're going to get crushed. Yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see if anything comes of it. Like they could skirt by. Who knows? Who in Fura and Fura and Ethereum in general? I like, think it's just like, do you think they'll it's a well, so, so do you th think they'll be vulnerable be, via this attack vector until they transition to proof of stake. Well, proof of stake makes them even more vulnerable because then they'll have Joe Lubin, you know, securing 15% of the network. Like that's <laughs> ridiculous. If, if it, I think it there, unless something radically changes, which it doesn't seem like it will, Ethereum has already follow this path that will lead them to increasing centralization and and they have they don't seem to have any qualms about that or trying to stop that from happening and then ultimately like they're they're gonna get i mean there's like so so the major ethereum stakeholders especially the ones based in the united states are lobbying the government to try and get like a free pass yeah short of that free pass they are fucked. <laughs> so they won't tell you this because if they get fucked, then they lose everything anyway. So they might as well just be like, we're not going to get fucked. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the game plan. They're in the hope and pray. You know, and we saw that with the whole... Earlier last year, I remember they were worried about the SEC decision, right? Yeah. They were like, please spare us. Don't, you know, that was the plan. The plan was... That was earlier this year. Yeah, the, but everything moves so fast. Right. The plan was just spare us. Don't 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 kill us. How long will uh, Uncle Sam show mercy? That is the question. Well, it appears that that he's he's getting impatient. It does. So shapeshift. Um, because they must have threatened him hard. Because he's always been very anti-state. Anti -state, yeah. I mean, he has more to lose now because he's rich as fuck. That's true. Um, yeah. So. Very interesting development. Uh, Eric Four, he's another tragic story, would you say? A tragedy. He's definitely an OG. He created Satoshi Dice. Yeah. And sold it for 100,000 Bitcoin, I think, right? Wow. I I like he sold that. it for a lot. I didn't know that. 
And he sold it like right before on-chain fees got really high. So like the business was completely impractical. I think it was like $8 million at the time or something like that. Holy shit. Um, and then he launched Shapeshift, like perfect timing. He did, he was a proponent of Segwit2x. Yeah, that's, um, I think that's sort of where his which, tragedy yeah. culminates. Marty and I were against and uh, would have been a miserable failure if, if Bitcoin went along that path. Luckily, it didn't. Uh, I think he said sorry afterwards. He may have. I'm not positive. He definitely at least paid a bet where he lost. So he's got that Some going people uh, are not willing to do that. Yeah. And uh, I, out of all of them, out of all the Segwit2x supporters... You know, I think he meant well, and you know, let bygones be bygones. I agree, but uh, again, let's let's rope this back to the importance of anonymity for the like. Yeah, especially when you get rich. You know that, and like, so like how? So I feel like everybody's making this mistake that. Well, neither of us are anonymous. No, no, but we're also not. No, we have. We're like not no running money compared exchange. to them. Yeah, no, that, and we're not like running an exchange or anything like that. Oh yeah, that too. Like yes. Building something that we're not doing anything. I'm intentionally like I. That's why I run a podcast. For I, this. I know I would have to like if I did any of these ideas, I would not do them based in the United States. Like that would just be a horrible. That's just, you don't want to. You don't want to do that here. Yeah. So central. I mean, he's doing it in Panama. He's doing it in Panama, and just and still because it's centralized, they can get to you. You know, they can say we're going to seize your assets. So it shows how hard it is for these systems and these apps built on top of these systems to succeed. Um, that, so that's what I, w- I want to highlight here is like you should be decentralized at all costs. Uh, it seems like Ethereum and Shapeshift are, are not decentralized at all. And Well, Shapeshift be- is way more centralized than Ethereum is. Yes, but- certainly, but... Ethereum is getting dangerously centralized. But something like BISC or something like that could not be taken now, which is Probably similar not. similar to Shapeshift because that's a more decentralized... Uh, yeah, this is the decentralized exchanges are going to take over is what's going to happen, yeah. and then you'll have the centralized ones. You'll probably have like a bucket shop or two like Binance that's like a nice centralized exchange that doesn't do KYC, that just hourly breaks U.S. law and lasts for like a year or two. And then the new one pops up. And the nice thing about this, the centralized exchanges will always have the advantage over the DEXs, mm-hmm. the decentralized exchanges, because it's just a better experience. You're able to have, you know, more liquidity and, and the interaction for an actual trader, you know, margin and stuff like that is like a lot better. Uh, you know, one of the issues is with a lot of these dApps and stuff specifically that are built on top of Ethereum is when you have known founders hedge funds and VCs and they're all trying to make an ROI, they start throwing out, you know, a lot of the main principles we use to, to make these networks decentralized and robust. So mm-hmm. they, they, they want the ROI at all costs, you know, but then all of a sudden you end up in situations where it's closed source or you have automatic updates, you have a central controller, you have someone who can pull back the token funds at any time. Uh, and all these things are methods to, to control their ROI, to make sure that they still get their return on income on their investment. You know, they, they want, they want that money and it makes them vulnerable and it's not appreciated enough. There's going to be some type of reckoning where a bunch of these people are made examples of. And I think they were thinking they were going to do that with Eric and he played ball. Yeah. Yes. Who's next in line? Exactly. They're just going to go down the list. That's my guess. 
Hopefully, you don't have any podcasters on that list. I mean, they shouldn't. We like we have literally just <laughs> abided by all your laws. We've you been know, told we people to stay away from this stuff. Exactly. If you're haven't. listening, no ICOs, no you know, no shenanigans, no shenanigans. Um, but on next to the next topic, topic yeah. uh, and the first of our recurring segment, uh, future f- future fud lines that we're going to debunk. Uh, and this week, it's actually been becoming more popular recently. I guess uh, a lot of people are flailing out as all coins are are falling. Uh, pretty heavily right now. There's a, a reckoning going on, and a lot of people are pointing to Bitcoin and saying, "Hey, Bitcoin's initial distribution is unfair. Um, how can anybody adopt a money?" So it's been like no coiners and and altcoiners, shitcoiners have have banded together recently, talking about Bitcoin's initial distribution and how it's unfair. How early adopters should not be that rich uh, just because they were mining Bitcoin before most people know what it is. I'll let you start with this one. I mean, at the same time, they're screaming that Bitcoin's going to go down to zero and you'd be an idiot to hold Bitcoin. So it's like how you, I don't know how you square that circle. Uh, Well, first of all, for anyone who is a multi-coiner or believes that there's going to be multiple chains or if an altcoin is going to take over, like you just literally have zero leg to stand on. Like there's... There, none of the other cryptocurrencies, like there's not even close. Like how would you argue that like Ethereum has a better, more fair distribution than Bitcoin when you have like a closed group of actors like sell the coin before the network even launched? Like, so that's just ridiculous. <laughs> and then, you know, you have to ask yourself, you know, what are you comparing Bitcoin to? And the thing is, you know, it's a hard truth. Life isn't fair. You know, and we have immense inequality. It's not a hard truth. It's the way the universe works. You know, it's 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 very hard for a lot of people to just. It's just not fair, you know, and there's tons of inequality around the world. There's people living with no money, you know, scraping by, and and Bitcoin isn't going to magically solve that. Bitcoin just gives you the guarantee that you have fair money, that anyone who has Bitcoin provided work for that Bitcoin at the fair market value that was achieved on a free market of various exchanges around the world and various miners' computers around the world. Um, You either put in your work through mining, which the reward is dynamically changing every two weeks based on how many miners there are, or you're putting in your work by... Not to reward the difficulty. <laughs> going, 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 to, going to work and getting paid in your fiat and then buying Bitcoin with it at what the price is. So you have a very fair ledger that is, that is literally just keeping track of people's stored work. And, and everyone can participate. There's no one is, is barred from participating. You know, if your government bans you from participating, you can still find a way around it. And, you know, that's not Bitcoin's fault anyway. You know, that's the, the U.S. dollar isn't fair. You know, gold wasn't fair. Well, then just like let's just bring it back to the Genesis block and how Satoshi introduces to the world. Number one, he introduced it October 31st, 2008. So two, two months and two days before he launched Bitcoin, and then two, he introduced it to probably the only people on Earth who would know how to run it and participate in the network. 
uh, being that group being the cypherpunk. So he, he put it on the cypherpunk mailing list. So he tried to make it as fair as possible. And still most of them didn't run it. Yeah. But we know for a fact that Hal Finney was running it within seven days of the network being live. He tweeted it out running Bitcoin. Horrible OPSEC. <laughs> Terrible OPSEC. <laughs> this is really bad I don't think he was worried about it at that point in his life. Come on, Hal. But, um, <laughs> but even so, like, yes, you can be mad that a lot of early adopters accumulate a lot of Bitcoin, but there was an information asymmetry there that they took advantage of. And that's yeah. how markets work. Like, and it was risky. It was worth nothing. You it was, put in the risk. There was multiple risks. There was social risk, like telling anybody you were into Bitcoin. People thought you were crazy. There were temporal risks. You're spending your time on this. So there's an opportunity cost of not making your money somewhere else. And then there's like, what's the other one I wrote about today? The thing is, is you have, we're surrounded. Yeah, and financial risks. They had to pay money to go. get this. You found it. They had to get this money. They had to pay money to get the hardware to run this. So they took risks. Well, in the beginning, they were running it on just like. Still, maybe somebody bought a laptop dedicated to Bitcoin. That was a fun. No, absolutely. Yeah. So like the FUD that there was not a fair distribution is some of the most laughable shit. But the thing is, you're never, it's like the enemy of perfect is, but the enemy of good is perfect right mm -hmm. is is you're never going to have a more fair launch the majority of the systems in our world are way less fair than bitcoin bitcoin can't be corrupted it can't be manipulated by those who are in power you know so every it's it's bitcoin doesn't exist in this vacuum you know and so so if you want to say if if you want to tell me that bitcoin isn't fair i would say to you what would be a more fair system, right? And there's... The one I propose. It doesn't exist. It literally doesn't exist. There's like all these scenarios with airdrops to the world and stuff like that. I put quotations. You can't see my quotations. Um, it's all bullshit because it requires a trusted third party. And then once you require a trusted third party to, you know, ID people, distribute it, figure out how you're going to handle it, you have privacy issues. You have issues with that third party taking more coins for themselves, not distributing coins to other people. It's just, you know, you have seed investors that keep private. That's ridiculous, you know. And and part of that reason is is what you talk about a lot, Marty, is 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 that immaculate conception, right? The Bitcoin immaculate conception is no one was paying attention when Satoshi released it. Satoshi mined presumably about a million Bitcoin that he's never moved you know, rather philanthropically of himself. Uh, and, and, and so you have this situation where that can never be repeated. We're all watching now. You know, how do you, how do you have a situation where, exactly. where it doesn't get corrupted? There's so if you many eyes on it right now. Like the fact that it was born in some mystique, like actually gives it more credibility, I would say. Uh, yeah, I think that's... There I think was that's, less eyes to manipulate it at the beginning. It's the main argument. I think in my mind, it's like one of the main arguments against... Uh, any kind of altcoin flipping scenario uh, is that you just can't repeat it. You can't repeat that. You know, Bitcoin doesn't exist in a vacuum, but it was kind of born in it was one. Very authentic, right? And I was, wow, was, that was poetic. Yeah, that was pretty good. I just came up with that. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> Maybe that will be the tagline, including the, the tomorrow's bent. <laughs> um, yeah, but hey, be prepared. This is going to be one of the biggest fud lines in the future, uh, especially as. Bitcoin continues to be successful and continues to mine blocks and people with cognitive dissonance, whether they're no coiners or all coiners, 
are going to start screaming about this distribution. So let's get ahead of it, freaks. Make sure you educate people out there uh, and and spread the message. I don't think it really matters. Why not? Because Bitcoin doesn't give a shit. That's true. I mean, it's just if you don't want to buy in, like. But if we can no save headaches, you, I'm all to save headaches for people. I mean, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, I think people should buy it sooner rather than later. I mean, it's ridiculous to say you're complaining about the fairness of Bitcoin when 99% of people haven't bought any or participated at all. So if you got in right now, you'd still be earlier than the rest of the world in, in this. So I, I don't, it's just nothing, you know, to buy. I would, I, you either complain or you buy Bitcoin, but either way, Bitcoin doesn't give a shit. So you can either join the movement or you can just wait wait till till you end up joining the movement later. <laughs> uh, uh, what a crazy and fucking the world. The US dollar is like the most unfair thing ever. Like it's oh, ridiculous. Yeah. I talked about it on Palm's podcast. It's all about. the statists are the ones who are arguing this point too. It's just like the most infuriating thing ever. And also a lot of them have very short Twitter names. You know, they have like the three digit Twitter names. Which I think is unfair. It's a little bit ridiculous that I have like a nine-digit Twitter. That's name, an unfair distribution. Right? Why do they get? We should start. You know, there's why. Why are we using Twitter? It's completely unfair. You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah, at PT. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Two digits. That's ridiculous. I wish I had at MO. That'd be awesome. You know, I'm not petitioning. You know, to, to restart Twitter. Yeah, it's unfair. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's okay. a good an- that's a good analogy. Um, but let's stay on this a little bit. Uh, a little tangential to this topic, but I was on Pomp's podcast recently, uh, posted it today, and he asked me a question, like, what's one thing that you think about that you think uh, no other Bitcoiner would agree with you or very few would? And I was just trying to be uh, a little, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Controversial. And I said, uh, everything would be okay if Satoshi ever moved his coins. What would you have to say to that? And let me lay out the scenario. The scenario would have to be very specific. We're in like a semi-cypherpunk anarcho-capitalist future where a lot of people are running an anons. He continues to be anonymous. He doesn't tell us who he is. And he only like uses his Bitcoin to, um, to contract out odd jobs around the world. Like, hey, I want something built here. I'll pay like you a little. good jobs? Yeah, it would have to be. Like a dam or something? I don't yeah, know. something. I don't know. Whatever. Like a hospital for little children yeah. or something. Do you think that would destroy Bitcoin if you started doing that? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, Satoshi is a woman. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's probably a group of people. I think we both think it's a group of people. Uh, first, first of all, the most important thing is I really hope that we get some added privacy so we won't be able to track his coins. I like that. Uh, I, I think... Bitcoin will have failed a bit if we end up in a, you know, in a future where chain analysis, where there's, there's not better privacy. Uh, so I, I actually have like this weird theory that he's waiting for a better privacy to get either forked in or added on top. And, and then once he he sees like if it's added on top, it needs liquidity. So he needs like sufficient liquidity to, you know, move through like 50,000, 100,000 Bitcoin or something. But. Uh, or if it's added through a fork in some scenario, uh, then he'll move them or they'll move them because once you, he'll move them into like an anonymous area. And then once he has them in the anonymous area, he can, 
Do you can then spend them at will, or they can spend them at will. Uh, I, but I do think that they probably, they're probably gone forever. Uh, I would agree too. There's probably another stash that he, the they, she had, you know, that has been being spent and 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 you know still under their control, and they use they use it, you know, whatever time to time. Uh, and then this stash was the, you know, the bootstrap stash that they were like, we bootstrap it and then we throw it away. Yeah. Uh, just because this is fucking all hasn't moved yet. You know, you went to 32, then you went back down. Well, that's to my two, point. Like, will it ever, will it just shoot 50, then back down to 50, then you went to 1200, then back down to 150. Let's say we're at a point where there is no fun or comprehensive fungibility yet. Um, and he, she, it, they do decide to move them like would that be catastrophic for the network i think if they satoshi wanted was waiting this long they wouldn't there's there's no reason to it, it would be short term a very big issue price wise yes and that's what i said and and it wouldn't help them either. It wouldn't help Satoshi either. Like that would, it would completely, they, they have a huge value. If they control a million Bitcoin, it would, they have a huge value. It would completely, it would completely damage Collapse, it. Yeah. So they're kind of, even if they still have control of the keys, they're kind of incentivized not to do that. Unless there's like, like I said, there's some type of privacy fork. I could see a scenario where, and this is just all just this fucking is all speculation, yeah. just ridiculous Absolutely. speculation. But we're here drinking McAllen. Um, I actually tweeted out to McAllen trying to get a sponsorship. So McAllen, this is your free shill of the day. You know, <laughs> all, all we need is 30 bottles a year should cover it. And then we'll give you a, a, a shill of the day. We'll every, give you a shill of the time. day. It's our favorite. It's our favorite liquor here. It's very, uh, very smooth. Um, so <laughs> if, if, if I, I there's like a, a weird a weird situation where what happens if if you have like a fork where you you put in snarks or starks or like some kind of privacy improvement and then he he moved or they moved their coins on the privacy fork but then didn't move them on the legacy fork like it would probably end up in a situation where the legacy fork would get like wrecked right mm-hmm. but. I think the the whole this whole Bitcoin cash fork happened and there was no movement. There was just sitting tight. Like if, if Satoshi wanted to be political about it, still had the keys, like they had a very great opportunity to be super political one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Right? That's Didn't true. happen. So like every day that it goes on, like they're they're probably lost for good. If they're not and Satoshi still has them, then good for him, she, they. You know, the price will fall a little bit in the short term to price it in. And uh, and then it'll recover, and we'll continue on our march. You know, I like that. I mean, uh, we had we had our our friend Adam uh, Tache uh, told us uh, he sent us an address earlier today that had four hundred thousand Bitcoin in it, and was like last active in like two thousand fourteen. They like sent out the four hundred thousand Bitcoin in two thousand eleven, but like there were still transactions there from two thousand fourteen, and. Uh, and it's not connected to any exchange, so so we don't really. It's probably an individual, like that. 
he's Satoshi isn't the only large holder, yeah. you know, and they but but their coins haven't moved, so you know they're probably gone. Yeah, it's an interesting subject. It's uh, another potentially future FUD line to think about. Yeah, it's, it, al- it's always fun to have those uh, thought experiments. It, so. d- it definitely doesn't increase the supply from 21 million. If anything, it right. just increases the supply from 20 million, right? Increasing and we've liquidity. all been t- yeah. we've all been talking about 21 this whole time. So, and honestly. Like Satoshi, out of all the people, is like the strongest holder ever. Like, not gonna dump the whole million. Like, let's be <laughs> fucking honest here. Like, it would be like the coins would move, everyone would panic the fuck out, the price would fall like substantially, and then like shit would recover. When everyone was like, "Oh, he only sold, <laughs> oh, he only sold two thousand coins," you know, or whatever it was. Yeah, we're good. Good buying opportunity if that does happen. Um, no, that's it's, that's uh, interesting. To Only two thousand. I don't think I don't think they'll ever move. Just I so. don't think they're ever gonna move. Uh, I do think we will be okay in the long run if they do move, but I don't think they'll ever move. I, I like I said, I think the most believable story is that they have a separate stash, and they've been using that separate stash, and then this is like the bootstrap stash that's gone forever, mm-hmm. and it's in their own best interest that you know that they don't move that because the Lord it'll hurt the price. That's to the mystique of the the mystique is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you're the ultimate holder, right? It's like it's like. I Satoshi gave you this dope ass tool network, <laughs> like a global money. And, and I mined a million of them I'm not to boot, f- to bootstrap the network. And I'm never going to move them is like the most ridiculous <laughs> story ever. It's religious almost, you know, it's it crazy. Is. Are we developing a religion? I mean, look, G- Jesus didn't have like a block hash of his, if it was resurrection, you know, you didn't have that. You didn't have that definitive proof. No, it's only in the Bible. You have to go by the Bible. Don't trust verify. It's true. Um, no, it's uh, fascinating shit. Um, so that was a ridiculous tangent. It was, but Bitcoin is decentralized because of that mystique, and because Satoshi did what he did. We are able to speculate like this, and it's fun. I had fun speculating with I you. I think people appreciate the tangent. Yeah, I like it. That's the thing that that our listeners. That that want the recap in the beginning to tell tell them what's going to be on the on the show like they don't understand like we kind of just we wing it here we kind of just <laughs> we just kind of get drunk and just go with it. With that being said, we do have another topic. Uh, we have two more topics. Two more topics. What do you want to talk about first? Well, it just we have Casa Hodl. Casa right? Hodl coming out hot. This is something I, I mentioned in the beginning. Uh, something I've been waiting for. I mean, uh, there have been. Other products similar to it, the 21 comp- computer, uh, BitSeed. BitSeeds, is that correct? Yeah, BitSeeds still Bit exists. BitSeeds. Um, and then Casa just announced they're coming out with a plug-and-play uh, Bitcoin full node and lightning node, which is fascinating. Uh, you'll be able to buy these these nodes, plug it in. Just full disclosure, I bought one because uh, I want to experiment with full it. Full disclosure, I did not purchase one. Um, and, uh, yeah, to experiment with um, And so this is the type of hardware I've been looking for. I've, uh, I've always said uh, the real long-term good play will be hardware. I've got a lot of pushback on that, but I really think like if we want this to be ubiquitous, we need uh, simple UX hardware tools like this plug-and-play full node and lightning node that CASA's provided us um, to really reinforce decentralization. And going back, there's a huge, there's been a huge debate forever. It's, it's good, actually a good thing to talk about. Like, should everybody run a full node? Will everybody run a full node? A lot of people are like, nobody's ever, not everybody's going to run a full node. And I will concede that, yes. Of course not. But There's a lot of people. everybody should have the ability to. It's like uh, it's like the Thomas Jefferson quote, like, 
uh, every once in a while uh, a populist needs to to wa- wash its hands of blood and right the wrongs of of the system they've been tyr- tyrannized under. Uh, similar mindset with full nodes. Whether or not everybody does run a full node, they should always be able to. The, yeah, the thing is, you should be able to spin one up cheaply. Yes, if you need to. Exactly. And you should run one. Yeah. I I, I have. Uh, if you want to run your own Bitcoin full node, I run Bitcoin.com, is is one of the domains I hodl, uh, and I I've, I link that to Stop and Decrypt's awesome guide on running one. We'll put that um, in the show notes. I run Bitcoin.com. Isn't that a great domain name? I love it. Yeah, I'm a major, major bag holder of domain names. <laughs> uh, it's like it's it, that and Bitcoin are the two things I hodl. Um, but anyway, like the idea of of the of a Lightning node, it is it's both a Lightning node and a Bitcoin node. It's both, right? Yes. And it's uh, it's 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 basically a purpose built computer, almost like a route. A router is a purpose built computer. You all have them in your homes. And basically the idea is that in like the don't trust verify age, like you, everyone or at least as, as many people as possible should run basically their own home server, their own Bitcoin home server that's like home base. And then that way you can interact with it with your phone or whatnot uh, and, and have that same security that you would have if you were on like a full computer, you know, uh, Instead of instead of having to trust someone else, you connect back to connect back to your home Bitcoin server. Yeah, and that's if you're going full cypherpunk, you should run all your transactions through your own node, so you know that you're verifying. Right. I mean, if you're going full cypherpunk, you shouldn't buy uh, a node like this. That is <laughs> the pre-configured. Oh, so it, it's it's kind of nice from a consumer's perspective. Is is they have. Up until the point when you order it, they load up the whole Bitcoin blockchain. So you literally just have to sync like the last uh, two weeks or so. Uh, that's pretty cool. So it reduces your initial startup time. and But that, that does add an element of trust. And then they have a really great interface, supposedly, that allows you to interact with, with your node uh, much more conveniently than if you were trying to go with like a homebrew type solution. Mm-hmm. And on Lightning, I think, I mean, I, I assume one of the ideas behind this is that you can collect fees for routing payments. Yeah, I would imagine. So you can grow yeah. your Bitcoin, almost like a proof of stake yeah, exactly. type of just situation. Turn it on your corner, send some Bitcoin to a Litecoin channel and just facilitate payments as, a, uh, as just provide liquidity to the Lightning network, let people run transactions through your channel and, and get some fees on that. Right, exactly. So like... Uh, so uh, with the Bitcoin node, you're not, you're not getting a direct reward back. You're getting, uh, you're, you're getting better verification. Yes. You're getting, you don't have to trust anyone and, and you're benefiting the network. So you're tangentially benefiting yourself with the lightning node. If you run a lightning node, you can route payments automatically and get paid small fees. They're like very, very small fees, but they're fees nonetheless. And, and you get paid for them. Yeah. There was one thing about this node that you were a little perturbed about. It should be SDD, not HDD. What do you mean by that? Oh, yeah. So it's, well, first of all, it's $300 and it includes a one terabyte hard drive. Um, I recommend to everyone on their nodes that they should run solid state drives, uh, solid state drift disks. And and the reason is, is just they, they have better speeds. All their speeds are like way, 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 way faster. Uh, so the sync time is quicker, which you don't have to deal with with this as much. 
uh, because it's already pre-synced. Uh, and they have better lifetimes because if you're like constantly writing to a to a hard drive, like that hard drive is going to degrade and and die a lot quicker than uh, than the solid state drive. Interesting. So uh, and solid state drives are getting pretty cheap. Like literally, if you want to run a Bitcoin node, like all you have to do is buy a Raspberry Pi. No, you can just if you have a computer at your house that's just like a regular computer, you can download the Bitcoin software and run it and you're running a Bitcoin node. Like that's easy peasy. Lightning nodes are a little bit more difficult right now. That's why this is extra special. Uh, but, but lightning nodes are going to get way easier to run as well. But it's kind of cool that you just can just have like this little like router type thing that's in your house. That's like your Bitcoin control center. Yeah. You know, dope product. Shout out Casa. Casa. Uh, Oh yeah, so Casa. Should we tell them what Casa is? Casa is their main business model. Is like they're custody. A, they're a custodian that doesn't actually hold your funds. So they set you up with the with a three of five multi sig, mm-hmm. uh, where you have, I believe, you have three treasures or ledgers, like three hardware wallets that hold keys. Your phone holds a key, and they hold a key. And you're supposed to... You never need to use them to sign unless you lose the rest of your keys. And No, no, no. You use them to sign all the time. You you keep two two of your four keys, your phone and one of the hardware wallets you keep available to yourself. And then you use their third key to sign your transactions. And then if you want to override them, like you have two keys that you have like hidden in different locations, like around the world or whatever. You're correct. I butchered that. And then, and then you grab those. So like, so that they can't take your money, but they act as like an authorization point. They have 24 seven customer service. They start charge a subscription fee. I think it's, I think it's 10,000 a year. Um, but yeah, it's just very interesting. If you have a lot of Bitcoin, like worth checking out, um, very great team. Like their team is just top notch. Definitely. We're pressed for time here. Let's get to the last topic. Last Bi- topic. Bitcoin Optex newsletter yesterday. Uh, something that caught my eye in the news section. Uh, shout out David Harding doing an incredible job on these newsletters. Uh, there's a discussion of resetting uh, Bitcoin's testnet. And I just thought this was a good opportunity to sort of introduce you freaks to, uh, to a more obscure area of Bitcoin development, that being the testnet. Uh, and apparently we're on testnet three right now. The last time it changed was mid 2012 and uh people on the bitcoin mailing list are, are beginning to chatter about maybe resetting the test net and starting a new one um so this is nothing to worry about i mean it's it's you know so someone's using the test net a lot supposedly yeah there's this company very block i believe uh the samurai devs were saying something about them but um yeah apparently they're they're stress testing the test net and uh it's getting to a point where um, where other people, uh, other people's testnet experience is being degraded because of that. And like, that's exactly, you know, it's because the testnet has no value. This is exactly why value, ex- that's just why Bitcoin needs to exist. The actual token Bitcoin Yes, is because it allows the network to operate, you know, where spam is prohibitive. Mm-hmm. Um, also bitcoinops.org just to throw in another shill there you have to that's where you would sign up for the newsletter you should sign up for it bitcoinops.org right bitcoinops.org exactly um yeah very good if you're looking for some technical insights into what's going on with the development with the bitcoin core project specifically uh this is a great i mean they describe it really well like pretty much everyone like if you're subscribed to any other newsletters 
you know, you should probably subscribe to this one too. And David Harding is really good at condensing everything, so this is a quick rip. Uh, it won't take up too much of your time. Um, that was the last topic. Do we have any parting notes? Well, I mean, just just to throw it in there, you know. So this is the Bitcoin test net. Uh, it's fantastic. It's been very useful to us. The it has no value, right? And then we have. An alternative it has no net. monetary value. It has right. value in testing. Right, it has so. huge amount of value, but no monetary value because we're willing to reset it at any you know given time. Uh, and I think the difficulty adjustment, the way they handle the difficulty adjustment, is I think they can mani- manually. Uh, but then you have something like Litecoin, which is just like a straight overpriced test net that's like <laughs> worth what, like a billion dollars or whatever, just completely not worth it. You know, so just you know keep that in mind that we have this other test net. You know, what, what's the point of of Litecoin. Yeah, who knows? Just uh, throw that in there. Yeah, just thought you freaked you know, that's, uh, that's an interesting part of Bitcoin development. Um, and it does have its own sort of governance structure and, and that there has to be a discussion to, to reset it. It's a, yeah, it's a little bit. Yeah, discussion started. Um, yeah, it's Wednesday night. I think I'm going to post this tonight. Yeah, so I'm trying to get Marty to post this tonight, so that's good that he just uh, promised you guys that. I'm not going to edit anything. I don't think we need. Also, we're thinking about uh, maybe doing like a live, a live type show going forward. So yeah. like, let us know what you think about that. Yeah, we need to get. Um, we're not going to ask you on Twitter. So you tweet at us if you think we should have a live show, and we know you listen to the very end of the podcast, so you're actually a listener. Yeah. No, I love that. That's I love a good that. idea, right? And then another thing, if you're still listening, uh, one thing that could be a huge benefit to us: uh, please like, share, subscribe, uh, whatever platform you're listening to this on. It really helps us get more exposure uh, and really help spread the word, gets us more exposure on these platforms. Uh, a lot of competition out there in, in the in the podcasting game these days. So any any help helps. And and feel free to DM us, add us anytime. You know, just, yeah, just D- come at us. DMs are, DMs are open. Exactly. I try to get to as policy. many of them as possible. Um, that's all I got. That's all we got this week, freaks. Peace and love. Awesome. Cheers, folks. Bang, bang.